golfing there. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that makes me feel better. <laughs> okay. We will be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but before we get there, I want to start with the story of Lazarus, which is in John chapter 11. Uh, I'm going to assume, for the sake of argument, that you're familiar with the story of Lazarus, at least to the point that uh, Lazarus is the man Jesus raised from the dead. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I am going to talk about a couple of points uh, in the story. The first being that four days, he was four days dead. Uh, when Jesus went to where he was. And uh, my translation of the Bible, Jesus goes and he, he uh, this is just, short, just a couple of verses after that shortest verse, depending on your Bible version, <laughs> at least the shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus wept, right? And then he says, roll away the stone, and Martha says, no, because, and, and as my translation says it, uh, it says, uh, no, because there is an odor. But the King James, which is not always my favorite translation, but sometimes you just can't be topped. She says, Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> and and uh, uh, it's, it's uh, just a powerful phrase, and, and I love it. I'm going to return to that a couple times. And then the second thing I want to point out is that when Jesus called Lazarus out, right, uh, let me read what it says here. Now, when Mary uh, came to... Uh, I'm, I'm not there yet. Let's see. Uh, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead seven days. Uh, and then we skip down to where he says, uh, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus came out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his faith face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So he came out wrapped, right? Uh, picture, picture your standard mummy movie, you know, and that's what he's doing, because that's what they did. Uh, we read when Jesus died that uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took him down and wrapped his body in, in a, a, a linen and perfumed linen. To The idea was to prevent that stink of thing from happening, and, and uh, to, at least for, from getting out to anoint the body. And, and, but by the time someone's been dead four days, no embalming, hot weather, all the things that go along there, uh, the body has decayed a significant amount by that time. Uh, and so he comes out, and his grave clothes are still on him. He's wrapped like that, and Jesus does not take the grave clothes off of Lazarus. And Lazarus is not able to take his grave clothes off his, himself, at least not well. Jesus says to the people around him, help him take off his grave clothes. Okay, so uh, I don't know. I mean, my question I want to go with here is, did his grave clothes still stink? It, it, because the Bible doesn't tell us. So, so we, have, we have the question here, either when, because when, I have no doubt Lazarus was made baby fresh, right? No pimples, no, no owls, no, you know, no anything. His skin was perfect, right? Spa prepared. It was just his skin, everything about Lazarus was undecayed and perfect. The grave clothes could have been made the same way, but were they? Is that a necessary thing? And, and I'm going to go with the theory that they weren't. Even if they were, I'm going to act as if they were, because there's a picture in this of you and me. 
In fact, let me go to another verse real quick. This one's in the book of Jude. The book of Jude, just one little chapter. And he, is using a, he uses a description of the clothing that sinners wear. And it's a, it's a metaphor. You know, in Lazarus, it's a true story. It's not a metaphor. It's literal. But when we get to, to Jude, it's a metaphor. But he says this. Uh, have, verse 22 of Jude. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And it's a metaphor. He's not saying hate the clothing, but he's saying beware of anything attached to the sin. Hate the sin, but snatch the sinner out. And we have this picture of the clothing as something that hangs on, that is, it maintains the aura or the odor or the stench of, of, of the life that went before. Right? We have all those pictures with this. The garment is a metaphor. But the point I'm making is that we don't shed... We don't, it, Unless you are that guy, we don't shed, most of us don't immediately shed our sinful ways when we come to Christ. And some of those sinful ways manage to hang on to us for a long, long time. We are, we are all walking around with a certain amount of grave clothes still on us. You know like the person who has spinach in his teeth? <laughs> you know, and we may not see it, but it might be really obvious. It might be glaring to everyone else, and somehow people don't know how to tell you, or maybe they've told you and you just are in denial. Uh, we, we all have a certain amount of grave clothes on us. Uh, we don't shed them the minute we come to Christ. Okay, let's come back to Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> 1. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we find this passage, because if you remember last week I was talking about the Corinthian church, and I described it as a messed up church. If there is a problem to be had, the, first Corinth, the Corinthian church had those problems. But before Paul starts addressing those problems, he writes this paragraph. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you await the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul, before he goes on to say, here's another way you're messed up and you need to fix. Here's another way. He's, he, what he's doing in this is he's helping them take off their grave clothes. But he starts by making a really strong, established statement, but you are saved. Because if you ever looked at someone who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, and you think, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, you ever look, I, I think about uh, that kind of thing a lot. I mean, we're not supposed to be in the judgment, the, the business of judging each other, but it happens. Uh, we look at this church, and we see all the problems. They, they, they were divided against each other. They tolerated sin. They were judgmental. They were arrogant. They were selfish. They were confused about doctrine. Paul is going to address all those issues, but not one of those issues changed the fact that they were saved. And he starts out with that. He says, you have got this foundation. Now, this message is... is the, the the, the particular, what I feel is the particular value of this message, and I know that God's word works in such a way that you can come in here from any one of a number of deal uh, positions and, or issues and walk away with God speaking to you from wherever he chooses to and about whatever, but the main point of this message is, is yes, we have grave clothes. Don't let the fact that you still have some grave clothes on you cause you to wonder if, if God is going to give up on you or cause you to wonder if you're saved. If you have come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are saved. 
right? The fact that you have sin in your life does not change that. You don't want to wallow in that sin. You don't want to hang on to it, but it doesn't change that fact. Lazarus wearing stinky grave clothes did not mean he was still dead, right? You, you might walk by and you go, oh man, you smell like you're dead. But you don't say, oh, I wonder if you're dead, as he's moving around doing his mummy thing, saying, help. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, still, he's still alive, and it's obvious he's alive. Christians having sin problems doesn't stop them from being Christians. So we're going to see today some things. We're going to see they are a saved people. More than that, they are a blessed people. And more than that, the reason they are okay is because God is faithful. And I read those words. So first of all, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. The shortest and simplest understanding of that word grace is gift. It, you know, the Greek word, where we, you're probably familiar with the word charisma, from which we get charismatic. The, the, it is the word to describe gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks about spiritual gifts. They are the charisma. The, that is the, the Greek word, or charismata is what they use. This, that's the word used here. It's a slightly different form. It's charity. It almost sounds like charity. But it's, but it's, an, it's another form of the same word. It's, it is, is, has to do with the idea of something given. Uh, specifically, when we look at this, we're talking about something given by God. And we think of grace, and we think of, of, of his goodness. We expand it. We find favor. We have a gift. We have it is given in love. It is something we do not deserve and cannot earn if we wanted to. Most importantly, we understand it is coming from God. Because, of course, people can be gracious. Right? Often we, we experience somebody being gracious to us. Sometimes we are the person being gracious to another. But God's grace is far more valuable. And that is what he is talking about here. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Uh, and this is saving grace. It's not simply a gift. It's not simply something given to you. This is saving grace. It could easily be thought about as referring to the things that he's about to mention, right? Because he's about to say, in every way you were, were enriched with him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed about you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you will wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus. And you could say, well, couldn't it be referring to any one of those? It could, but there's something you see when you, when you look at it and by the way, I don't look at it and just know this. I have books, I cheat. Uh, but uh, the word is single. It's a singular word, the grace. Not the graces of these things, but the one grace that was given you from God. English doesn't translate that that way. It simply comes across grace. This is saving grace. He is going to mention all the ways he has enriched them, uh, but this is a form uh, which is single, and it is, it is referring to one specific grace that we have in Jesus Christ, and that is the grace that saves us, the grace of God that that bringeth salvation, that has appeared to all men. This is the gift of salvation. And it is such an important foundation for this letter. Uh, remember, we, I talked about Corinth last week, if you were here, and how we live in Corinth. All the problems that were in Corinth are in, I, I could say in America, but I could also simply say our modern world or the civilized world. It's not confined to our borders. Our borders, you know, America, for all its flaws, is still better than an awful lot of people, uh, I mean, an awful lot of places in terms of morality. Uh, but but uh, it is important for this letter to say the foundation is there, right? You look, I mentioned, you look at someone who claims to be a Christian, you find yourself doubting it. If you're like me, you sometimes find yourself prejudging people. It's something I try not to do, but I do it. I play fruit inspector. I'm not supposed to do it. Uh, but sometimes people do need to be called to account. 
You know, if you are calling yourself a Christian and you are doing what, involved in pornography, you need to be called out on that, right? Uh, that is that we're not supposed to say, well, you know, sin, Christian sin, and so we're going to just pretend it's okay. Uh, we need to be called out on these things. We need to be told not to do these things. Uh, we, we, but but we find that we still have problems. Paul is about to address all kinds of problems in this church, but he recognizes they are Christians, and especially with new believers. And something to recognize about the Corinthian church is there is not anyone here that we would call an old believer. Paul came along and he planted the church in Corinth, right? We find that in the book of Acts where he comes in and he spends a year and a half there and he plants the church at Corinth. He goes off, that's on the second missionary journey. Paul took three missionary journeys and then one called the prison journey. Anyway, so, so then on the, he goes home for a short amount of time and he goes out on his third missionary journey. On this third missionary journey, he goes to Ephesus and while at Ephesus, he writes this letter to the Corinthian church. Maybe max four and a half years later. Maybe you could stretch it and say five years later. The person in Corinth who has been saved the longest has been saved five years, right? The person in this church who has the most Christian experience is five years or four and a half. And most of them then have less than that, right? This is not a mature, well-established, long-lived church that has had a lot of time to lay down roots and produce a lot of things. You have babies leading babies. Right? We have new people leading new people. It, it is a, a, a difficult thing. And so when you're talking about new Christians, there's, there's a whole lot of grave clothes that were on there. I, I think about, <laughs> I, I, I probably use this illustration too much, but you know, I got saved in, at the end of August in that year, a couple years ago. <laughs> I, could, I can't even say a couple decades ago. Four decades ago. Is that enough? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in August, I got saved and at the end of August. So basically, you know, the division between August and September, well, there's a week left in it. In the middle of October, I got married, right, to my first wife. <laughs> Still got her. <laughs> uh, and and uh, I was not immediately made wise and mature. And in between getting saved and getting married... I had a bachelor party. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be laughing. It was not a saved person's, now it wasn't, there were no women involved. It wasn't that kind of a bachelor party. But there was an awful lot of booze. And, and at this huge, drunken bachelor party, the guy who led me to the Lord, who I did not invite because I knew what kind of a party it was going to be, <laughs> showed up. And I met him at the door with some drink in my hand. I don't know what I was, had at the moment. Uh, we, had, we had a lot of everything there. My roommate had found a liquor store that burnt down, and he bought a bunch of booze for a bottle, a dollar a bottle from the guy who was supposed to be plowing it. <laughs> we had a whole house full of all sorts of booze. And, and uh, I met him with something in my hand, and he looked at me, and he said something polite. I'm not trying to hide what he said. I just don't remember it. And he smiled and he left. And I didn't think about it a whole lot at the time. I wanted to get back to the party. But he saw my grave clothes in full display. Right? He saw me looking so wrapped up with my death 
that I wouldn't be surprised at all if he wandered, or wandered off wondering, was I wrong about this guy? Right? I cannot, I cannot imagine that he didn't have doubts about me at that point. I'd been saved for a month. I had a lot of grave clothes on. Right? You may look at me and say, Steve, you still have a lot. Believe me, a lot of them are gone. <laughs> a, a, a lot of them are gone. Uh, we, we still walk around. New believers. New believers carry sin on them. We need to be helped. This is a church of baby Christians, right? They, we have babies taking care of babies and helping each other, but it doesn't change the fact that these are saved people. They are saved. The foundation is laid. God is faithful. He has saved them, and he says, don't, it, the po- I shouldn't say he says, the point he is making here is he is establishing for these people, in spite of all the problems you have, you have this. You have this. You, you are already established in him. You, the grace of God has been given you in Jesus Christ. And the fact that we're going to find sin as we go through this letter doesn't change that. Now we move on, verses 5 to 7. We find they are a blessed and gifted people, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were enriched in speech and knowledge, and for all the grave clothes hanging on them, the change was evident. And the funny thing is, it's it's not always evident to the person, because all he sees is the grave clothes. He feels confined by them. He recognizes the effect they're having on him. He is more aware of them than of the new things. But that very awareness, by the way, is a testimony uh, of, of the change that's going on. Because before you get saved, you're not aware that these are grave clothes hanging on you. It's just your way of life, and you're not not thinking about it. It says they were enriched in speech and knowledge. Their speech had changed. Their speech was enriched. What does that mean? I think it means much more than that they had cleaned up their language. Hopefully that comes along. Hopefully that cleaning up of language comes along and follows this. Uh, It should be. But I think it was much more than that. It's Matthew 15 where he says what comes out of the mouth reveals what is in their heart and their hearts had changed, right? The grave grave clothes are still on, they're hanging around the outside, but on the inside their hearts have changed, and and because the heart has changed, and because what comes out of the mouth reflects what's in the heart, their speech had changed. Okay, exactly how that is, I don't know, but I know it happens, and the person speaking may not even realize it. It's it's an amazing thing to to, to, to meet someone who's been saved for a short amount of time and talk to them and realize they don't recognize how much they've changed. But it is so obvious to you. And if you wanted to look and say, well, you still have this sin and this sin and this sin and this sin, it's not hard to do. But instead, you're in awe of the change you see going on. And he says their speech has changed. He says their knowledge was enriched. Now, chances are, as I say that, I thought, thought, when I say that, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who feel like, man, I don't have that kind of knowledge. My knowledge, I don't feel like my knowledge is enriched. You know, if you are comparing yourself to a guy who gets tr- paid to study the Bible and has for the last 30 years, you might, your knowledge might not seem enriched. You might say, wow, he knows a lot. Well, yeah, 30 years of studying the Bible is going to do that for you, right? Uh, it, but, but that doesn't mean your, your knowledge has not been enriched. And more than simply the knowledge you have, but it's the fact that you have gained the ability to learn. It, flip a page to the right. deeper into 1 Corinthians, we hit chapter 2, verse 14. And we'll hit this a lot more in depth in probably six months. I don't know how long it'll take us to get there. It won't be six months. (laughs) There is one of the most 
important verses uh, for understanding scripture that we find. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And all of a sudden you have the ability to understand the word of God that you did not have a day before. You have the ability for God to speak to you through your word, through his word that you did not have. These things are beyond the grasp of of the the unsaved man. That's why so many people who, who try to write and make comments about the Bible get so much so wrong. Because they haven't got the adequate equipment to understand it. They haven't got the ability to translate it, to understand it and have it make sense. And they're taking best shots at it. And I've heard people come up with the most bizarre explanations for what I look at. And it's extremely clear. Uh, It's not hard to understand. The natural man cannot understand these things because they're spiritually discerned and he cannot receive them. But we who have the mind of Christ get to understand them. We have the Spirit of God helping us to understand them. It is not beyond our grasp. And so it just doesn't mean that you are learning. It means your thinking has been revolutionized. It has been completely thrown topsy-turvy and you don't even recognize it because you're just, you're just, you know, you don't say, hey, wait, I was sailing that way and now I'm sailing this way. You just know you're sailing and, and, and you, you see where you are. My observation is that most people, I should say my observation is, most people don't recognize it in themselves, but it is marvelous for others to observe. It is marvelous to see this happening in someone else. And then he goes on to verse 7. He says, they're not lacking in any spiritual gift. And we're going to eventually get to chapter 12. And what we're going to find when we get to chapter 12 is they they not only have all these spiritual gifts, but they use them very, very badly. (laughs) They they, They do everything wrong. They're using their spiritual gifts selfishly. When gifts are given to use generously, we, we are not given our spiritual gifts to give for ourselves. We're not given our spiritual gifts so that we can brag and say, ha ha, my gift is more impressive than yours. We are given spiritual gifts so that we can build up the body. They're not doing that. But it doesn't change the fact that they've been given these gifts, and these gifts are evidence of God's grace. And there is no hiding that. There is no getting away from that. And Paul is using this as evidence of Christ in their lives, and he is building it towards the praise of Christ as he moves forward. And it's going to be needed as he moves forward, that they have this truth established in their their hearts, that they have this foundation, that they are saved by Christ, they are in Christ, because he is going to start shredding them as he goes into the book of 1 Corinthians and say, you did this, you've got this wrong, and 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 these people are going to be taking a lot of hits. You know what? Our goal as Christians is not to criticize each other, but it is to tell you you've got spinach in your teeth sometimes, and you need to do something about it. They are saved, they are blessed, and they are gifted. But the last reason they can have confidence as, as we move forward is the best, because God is faithful. Uh, I'll start at verse 7. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. Our hope is in him, not in us. If our hope is in us, then we can look around and we can see the grave clothes and we can see our stink and we can see our sin and we can see our failings and we can just give up. We can say, I'm not making it. I'm not getting better. All I see is my failings and we can want to give up if it's dependent on us. But it's not. You know, he, Paul, Paul doesn't write and he say, say, sorry, Corinthians, you had your chance and you blew it. 
right? We just watched Chitty Chitty Bang Bang again. Love Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. There's a scene where if you're not familiar with the movie, uh, I don't know what to say, watch the movie. <laughs> Good movie, fun movies. It's, I was, if, you, if you see the kids on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, they're my age. <laughs> Which just tells you how old the movie is. But uh, anyway, there's a scene where he's trying to sell, sell candy to the rich guy, and the rich guy gives him so much time, and he doesn't make it. He says, had your chance? Muffed it. <laughs> and, he, and he turns around and walks away. You had your chance? You blew it. Too late. Uh, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you had your chance and it's too late. Now he says, okay, Corinthians, you've got a lock. You've got a lock on this salvation. You're in because Jesus Christ brought you in because God is faithful and he will keep you to the end. He sustains us to the end. He will find us guiltless in the day of Jesus Christ. He will find you guiltless in the day of Jesus Christ. He will find me guiltless in the day of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I've never done anything wrong? Because I'm guiltless? Not a chance. Right? I've told you the story. I'll tell you another story that I've told you before, just for the sake of those who haven't been here, was when I got my ticket in Airway Heights. Right? My tabs were expired. It wasn't technically... I, I, I really am a pretty good driver. <laughs> but my tabs were expired. I get pulled over in Airway Heights and uh, have to go back. I, I, I figured I could just pay the ticket. Maybe if I go in there, I can get it talked down a little bit. So I go in. I talk to someone. They say the best way to get a ticket reduced is to tell the judge a story. So I was all prepared to tell the judge a story of how I bought this car, how I know that we're supposed to double check, but I've forgotten the tabs. I never got a notice and all this stuff. And hopefully he'd have leniency and give me a break. But what happened was, uh, as I was in, in Airway Heights at traffic court, they don't just have the judge there. They have an attorney there advising him. And as I was walking up to, to the deal, the judge says, this doesn't look like a serious lawbreaker to me. And the, the, the attorney sitting there said, your honor, he has never had a ticket. And I just about fell. Because <laughs> if this were a competition, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't gotten a ticket in a long time. I don't get many tickets. But when I first started driving, I was the guy. I apologize to all you young men who have to pay the heavy insurance. Because it's my fault. I wrecked my first car. My fault. Wrecked my second car, threw a rod on my third car, wrecked my fourth car, and wrecked my fifth car. I was about 20 <laughs> by the time I wrecked the last one. <laughs> I had to go on the pool in Colorado Springs because no insurance company would take me and they had a state pool. And it cost me 100 bucks for just liability in the 70s. <laughs> it was, it was, I, I was a terrible driver. And that guy said, your honor, he's never had a ticket. And I went like, <laughs> and I, I almost said, what? <laughs> and, I, and then I caught myself. I said, wait a minute. I'm judicially innocent because there's a statute of limitations, and the law says I've never had a ticket. It's not that I've never had a ticket, but the law says I've never had a ticket. I'll take it. It saved me a lot of money. <laughs> saved me a lot of money that day because I'd never had a ticket. And I could have argued, but I took it. Because, okay, I will be found guiltless in the day of Jesus Christ. Because I'm guiltless? No. But because he has paid the price of my sin, and he makes me guiltless. And when God sees me on judgment day, he will see me innocent and guiltless, and he will see you innocent. And He'll see these Corinthians innocent and guiltless. Not because they're innocent and guiltless. They're a messed up church. 
but he, that's what he's going to see when he looks at them. He will find us guiltless on the day of Christ Jesus. There will be a day when Jesus Christ is fully revealed. And on that day when Jesus Christ is fully revealed, you and I will be fully revealed, and we will be fully revealed, innocent and guiltless, on the day of Christ Jesus. Not because we have been perfect, but because we have been made perfect. And that's what's going to happen on that day. And verse 9, God is faithful. God is faithful. He doesn't say, you are faithful. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'd have to hang it up. There would be no hope for me. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus our Lord. I know of no more important phrase than this one. God is faithful. If God was not faithful, we'd have no hope at all. Well, little hope anyway. We could hope we'd be lucky, lucky enough that he'd show favor on us. But God is faithful. He says, Corinthians, you have messed up in every possible way, but don't worry, God is faithful. Let's just get those grave clothes off of you. And so when we come into the rest of the book, because he's going to jump in next, next issue, <laughs> next passage, with, with the division that's going on that shouldn't be going on in this body, but it's going on. He says, we're going to start taking the grave clothes off now because the body underneath is alive. All of us here still have a certain amount of grave clothes hanging on. Some have done better getting it off than others. Some have had more time to get it off than others have. Uh, but, but, you know, give yourself the spiritual sniff test. Ladies probably don't ever do that, but I do. <laughs> Guys? <laughs> I, I, I come home, I take off my shirt, not toss, or it's okay. <laughs> Joan's looking. She's embarrassed. Sorry. <laughs> she's going to go through our closet now and give everything her own sniff test. <laughs> give yourself the spiritual sniff test, because some of you, you do that, and you're going to be horrified at what you smell. Right? Sometimes, you know, we're just so used to the smell, we don't notice it. Uh, sometimes it takes someone else to find it. Uh, you might be surprised at the bad odor you find when you do that. And, and if, if you do, don't be satisfied with it. Don't say, well, that's my smell. Uh, work on it. Seek to do better. But do not be defeated by what you find. It is not a point of giving up. It is a point of renewal. It is not a point of giving up. It is a point of finding your next task. Because in life, we have tasks. You know, I have a honeydew list at home. And sometimes I finish off everything on the honeydew list, and sometimes I don't. But I can guarantee you we don't take down the, it's the, the deal where the honeydew list stands. Why not? Because there's going to be something else put up there, right? So with your Christian life and so with your seeking to become a better person, there will always be something you can work on. Never stop working on it, but do not be defeated by it. Here's, here's the thing you want to walk away with. God is faithful, and he will not give up on you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you are faithful. For the tremendous promise we have that you are faithful. Lord, I thank you. I ask each one of us to be filled with joy at that knowledge, to walk joyfully with you. And Father, as you reveal things to us, let us do what we can to set them aside, to be godly and faithful in return. We pray in Jesus' name.